Welcome to Manufacturing Talk Radio, your source for breaking news, business trends, and economic forecasts here and abroad that impact one-third of America's economy. And now your hosts, Lou Weiss and Tim Grady. Welcome everyone to Manufacturing Talk Radio. We have a very interesting interview for you today. We're going to be talking to a gentleman by the name of Sean Osborne. Sean has an interesting career path, which we uh, entitled, if you looked at our e-blast that we send out, we send out a uh, notification by email to everyone who might listen to the show, called From the Cell Door to the Shop Floor. So you can get a pretty good feel for what Sean's going to be talking about. But before we get to Sean, let me chat with my co-host, Lou Wise, who's up in New Jersey. We're under a, uh, a little bit of weather here in Atlanta, but Lou probably has sunny skies. Lou, how are you doing? Uh, doing very well. Doing very well. Uh, it's a, we have a long show, so let me get to a couple of points here. One being uh, our postscript for last week. Uh, we did have um, Tim Fiore, chairman of the ISM uh, Manufacturing Business Survey, and the PMI report, uh, which uh, came out to 58.8 for the month of August, which were very, very strong numbers. Um, the we also had a special show with Anthony Nieves, who's the chair of the ISM non-manufacturing business uh, survey, and that non-manufacturing report also was quite strong at 55.3 for the month of August. So everything is looking very cheery. Uh, Chris Keel, who is a our humorist and our version of Lewis Black, uh, who happens to be an economist. And uh, he's with uh, Armada Corporate Intelligence, and he was speaking regarding Credit Managers Index report, which was also is at 55.1, uh, and things are looking uh, really very good. Uh, and, uh, you know, on my side, the manufacturing side of our business, All Metals and Forge Group also experience the same kind of uh, optimism and upbeat in business. So that's all terrific news. So speaking about news, let's talk about a couple of items that have come up. Uh, Needless to say, uh, to a great extent, I don't have to talk about hurricanes. I think that we're thoroughly fed up with listening to the horror that uh, has uh, gone on for a number of days and, uh, So we'll just move on from that, even though I do have another comment about that. Uh, Number item number one, um, and and this is important as it relates to uh, the hurricanes and politics, which Tim and I don't really like talking about politics, but it's hard to talk about manufacturing nowadays without talking politics. So I guess my question to the politicians is how long, is it going to take before everybody finally gets it that there really is climate change here? How many hurricanes, how many mudslides, how many melting um, uh, ice up from up in the Arctic and the uh, South Atlantic? How long is it going to take before we realize that the $15 billion that President uh, Trump has allocated for Texas uh, and probably another 10 for uh, Florida. Uh, that's $25 billion. 
how long will it take before we realize that if we spent the $25 billion in looking for uh, solutions, cures, safeguards, and so on, that we might wind up spending less? Um, so that's the end of my political spin on what has occurred in regards to the hurricanes. Uh, Tim, do you have anything on the hurricanes you'd like to talk about, being that you've gotten some rain yourself down there in Georgia? Well, I have a different spin on uh, on global warming because I hail from the great state of Wisconsin. And uh, 20,000 years ago, it was covered by an ice sheet called the Varentian ice sheet that was a mile thick. Uh, I went there a couple of years ago, and I did not have a head-on collision with an ice sheet a mile thick, so it must have melted. So it could only have done that if the Earth had warmed. I'm not sure if man is warming the Earth or something else is, so we'll have to see as time goes on. So is this something that we're not quite totally in agreement on? I would say we're not in agreement on uh, other than the fact that the Earth is warming undeniably, the question is at what rate and what is causing it. I'm not sure the scientists have landed on that. Because we're from the state of Wisconsin and they have a lot of milk cows out there, the milk cows once got blamed of, of contributing to global warming to a significant degree because they eat grass, they burp, and they pass gas. And that was a, supposed to be a significant contributor to methane in the atmosphere. I'm sure all the cows were offended. Well, I'm not exactly sure that cows could uh, release that much <laughs> gas to create the two It'd hurricanes that we just experienced. <laughs> <laughs> well, there 10,000 scientists can't be wrong, as they would say. That being said, let me move along. Uh, last week, uh, our, one of our uh, favorite groups, NAM. The National Association of Manufacturers uh, met at the Economic Club in New York. Jay Timmons, president of NAM, and the uh, David Farr, who's the uh, board chair of uh, NAM and also president of uh, Emerson Corporation, uh, came out with a speech, uh, a very strong, uh, strong speech. Uh, pointing out uh, the fact that we do need to have uh, tax reform. And this is probably going to be the next hot issue on President Trump's plate. Uh, the comment that uh, David Farr said, stated was, quote, uh, if we modernize our tax code for the modern economy, if we let our companies compete on a level playing field in the world, we could up more families, invest in more communities, unleash the power of this industry, and improve the lives of all Americans. Very strong statement, and it'll be real hard for those who vote against the tax reform to argue the point. So my hat goes off to David Farr and to Jay Timmons uh, to put out such a very strong uh, position. Uh, that being said, um, this week we're, we're doing a special ourselves. Manufacturing Talk Radio is going to be in Hartford, Connecticut at the Connecticut Convention Center. We'll be broadcasting from uh, the WIM, Women in Manufacturing. Uh, that we'll be there for three days, and we have a lot of interesting 
uh, people and women that we're going to be talking to about women in manufacturing and how they will make a contribution and are beginning to make a serious contribution to uh, women in manufacturing and perhaps help solve some of the skill gap problems that exist in, in our country today. Uh, also, uh, in in line with that, I, I want to uh, pre-state that we, uh, Tim and I, are, we're starting a new radio show called Wham! Women and Manufacturing, and it's going to air uh, the beginning of November. Uh, we're, and our focus, obviously, is women and manufacturing. Uh, and we have already a series of women who are going to be hosting the show and be guests on the show, and we're very strong, and uh, hopefully uh, others will be strong to help promote this idea because you won't hear a lot about it on mainstream media. That said, Tim, I turn it back to you. Thanks, Lou, and we'll get to our guest now, Sean Osborne. I hope you enjoy this particular interview. Lou and I found it quite fascinating. I want to welcome our listeners to Manufacturing Talk Radio in this very interesting segment that we have put together for you. We have a very interesting guest. He's got a great background story to tell you. He happens to be with Wagner Machine in Norton, Ohio. You're going to hear us pump Wagner Machine several times during the show because, frankly, we love to have uh, manufacturing companies on Manufacturing Talk Radio. Lou, you've got some information on our guest, uh, Sean Osborne, that you wanted to share with our listeners, so take it away, Lou. Uh, thank you, Tim. Uh, yeah, I had a, a wonderful conversation with uh, Sean a couple weeks ago as part of our uh, pre-interview discussions, and Sean had requested to uh, come on the show for the sake of his company, Wagner uh, machine Incorporated in uh, Norton, Ohio. And he introduced some other things into his email and then our, our subsequent conversation. And this is really quite a, a terrific story. First of all, it's a story about uh, a machine, a job shop machine company that is growing from the dark, dirty, dangerous days to becoming more of a 21st century uh, a machining company. Uh, but the second part uh, is our guest, Sean uh, Osborne, who is, I believe, 29 years old. Uh, and he's got quite a background, as Tim stated. And uh, he's, he's gone to school, and his company has helped him do that. Uh, he's come from a, uh, uh, a background that uh, many young people go through, uh, even to the point where he spent some time in jail. And uh, his, this company was uh, good enough, gracious enough, or, or desperate enough in terms of the skill gaps and the retirees and so on. So they brought him into the company. And uh, we're, we're going to want Sean to tell us the story uh, regarding Wagner Machine as well as what he's done. And uh, we'll be introducing some ideas and thoughts and I hope you really enjoy the story. It's a, it's a, it's a great human interest story, and uh, uh, we've we've never really done one before, but this is a great one to start with. Uh, Sean Osborne, welcome to Manufacturing Talk Radio. Hi, thanks. Uh, 
Sean, I'd just like to have you give our listeners uh, kind of a background of Sean Osborne. Uh, I'm really, I have to tell you, I'm really, really impressed with a young man who has uh, taken his life, turned it around, and is now a rising success story in a manufacturer in the Midwest. So I'd really love for our listeners to hear a bit about Sean Osborne. Can you share that with us? Yeah, okay. Uh, I actually grew up in a pretty decent family. And uh, surprisingly, just like I'm sure plenty of other people, I went down the wrong path. I'd gotten myself into some trouble numerous times, and uh, I wasn't really playing the role that my family wanted me to play. And after a little bit of a drug problem, I ended up in prison for a couple years. And uh, when I got out of jail, I had decided that I don't want to do that anymore. And I actually worked in manufacturing a few times before that, and I knew that I liked that better than the service industry. So I started a job in a foundry, actually working as a grinder, and ended up running automated uh, robots that were automatic grinding machines. And and I found that I, I enjoyed the machinery, and I was able to learn really well. And through there, I ended up... Uh, moving to the machine shop, and this is a production job. So basically I'm an operator, and I decided for myself that I, I didn't want to be the guy that relied on everybody else to, to do my job for me. So I started teaching myself uh, different things about machining. I bought a book. I learned how to do manual programming. I asked the older guys questions. I did Google research. And, and basically, in my mind, before before I even got to the point where I was doing it, I was already on my way to be a machinist. And uh, I actually came across Wagner Machine, uh, and it was and it was a lucky a lucky decision that I that I went with them. And from there on out, I walked in here uh, as an operator who knew what he needed to do. And basically, uh, I, I always say, "Fake it till you make it." I had to do that. Uh, I came in and I had no experience in doing any of those things. And, and from that day on, I've just uh, taken it one day at a time and learned what I could until uh, Wagner Machine signed me up for the National Tooling and Machining Association. And and the National Tooling Machi Machining Association has a, a school and they do a journeyman apprenticeship program. And that actually gave me a really strong foundation for all the things that I had already learned. Well, Sean, this is uh, it's a, a great beginning of the story. And uh, tell us a, a little bit about uh, Wagner, because you, you mentioned to me that they've gone through, you know, the dark, dirty, dangerous era, and now uh, you're bringing in uh, – uh, new technology, 21st uh, century technology and computers and so on. And uh, so tell us uh, how that transition uh, went. Yeah, they actually started out in a garage. And, uh, really? This is uh, 57, I, I believe. And, and they've moved their way up from that garage shop to what is now, uh, I believe, 50,000 square foot facility. Uh, I can verify that for you, actually. But they've they've gone through three generations, and, and now they're on their third generation owner, who is actually a woman, 
and she is very 60 years I'm sorry uh, so she's very good at, at delegating the work as it needs to be delegated and deciding who's best at what and who to ask for what and and right now we're not really I wouldn't say just getting out of the dark dirty days we've we've got quite a bit of machinery uh, I think over 30 pieces of CNC machinery uh, we have a fabrication shop and and we do we do quite a bit of work and it's cleaner than most job shops you would see but what we're what we're doing now is is we decided to start trying to automate some of our processes uh, we built a tool room uh, for all of our uh, tool holders our drills our end mills uh, inserts everything's there everything goes back there when they're done using it so what that does for us is since we do multiple setups sometimes in a day or a week uh, what we can do is now instead of spending an hour looking for one tool throughout the shop, we can go right there to that spot and get the tool that we need. And, and that's helped us a lot with our setup times, and, and we're also looking at doing the same thing with uh, grid, grid plates and fixturing components where we're automating our process and, and raising our capacity. And uh, what we're doing now as well is, is trying to automate the machinery. We just invested and an Akuma horizontal, and that connects to a FASM system, which is a 10-pallet changer that will schedule, load, change programs, and run the jobs all by itself once it's set up. So this is uh, a computer-driven, super-duper robotic-type piece of equipment? It's actually basically a shipping container. And, and what it is, you see the gated systems that they use in the automation or uh, automotive industry, where, yeah. mm -hmm. where the it'll be a it'll be a robot and it'll go get a pallet and it'll take it and it'll put it in the machine. It's that same thing, but it's in a shipping container basically. Uh, it's it's a nice looking shipping container, but that's basically what it is. And uh, what it does is, so I would spend a day or two days setting up two or three or four jobs <clears throat> because we do, you know, three to five pieces mainly. And and what I would do is, is I would spend those couple of days setting it up, proving it out, making the first piece, getting everything set, and we would put a probe program in there. And what happens is, is after that, the next couple of days, I'll just let that machine take over. It'll schedule the job by priority, by what tools are available, if a tool breaks, it'll put the job back and switch to a job that has all the correct tools, and it'll run all those jobs, even with lights out, uh, with freeing me up to do project management or or any other thing like that. Do you uh, do you have multiple shifts at uh, Wagner? We don't. We're a single shift and we're flexible. Mm -hmm. So so mm -hmm. the thing is is uh, not only because of the skills gap. But uh, the the industry is up and down with with the job shop, and it's mainly up lately. But there's been some times where it's it gets a little bit low. And if we put on a second shift to try and make up for those high times, then we would have to lay people off. And we try to avoid doing that. So what we expect is is that people know the situation that we're in, and they adjust their hours accordingly. Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. By by the way, uh, I might mention, being that you brought it up, that the uh, owner of your company, and I'm 
sorry, I don't have her name, uh, is a Courtney woman. Courtney Wagner. Courtney Wagner. Uh, yeah. I'd like you to pass on to her that uh, Manufacturing Talk Radio is starting a new uh, radio show by the name of Women and Manufacturing. And it's going to start in September. So if she would have uh, some interest in talking to us, uh, have her give us a call. Was that something that's in Columbus just yesterday? No, that would be women in manufacturing. Our show is women and manufacturing. Very close. And manufacturing. Okay. Because she just went right. to that yesterday. So I'm sure she would be interested. Oh, okay. Good. Okay. Actually, I may have met her then because I was at their annual event in St. Louis about two years ago. So she was actually the president of the National Tooling and Machining Association Akron chapter, and she's also right. a national member. So if you've uh, come across them at any time, then you may have met her there too. Uh, I probably have. So pass it on that we'd like to talk with her. So now back or to correction. the show. I'm sorry? They, they, they Actually, I think they rotate presidents, so I don't know if she is now, but she was within the last year. That's okay. That's, we we want to okay. talk to her as part of Wagner Machine. Uh, oh, no, you know, I understand. A woman. Um, let me uh, explore a couple of things with you, Sean. Uh, first is, you know, you're talking about setting up jobs. Uh, uh, the machine is running, allowing you to do project management. I know that there's some... Uh, perceived notion that uh, the machine shop is you're standing there with a tool, the part is spinning, you know, almost like a lathe, and you're actually doing the hands-on work. That's not the case anymore at Wagner, is it? No. No, uh, I, I, think, I, I think I understand what you're saying. Uh, you're saying that, actually, you'll have to reiterate with me because I, don't, I actually don't understand what you're saying. Well, that's okay. You've, you've got a, a situation there where you're running the machine with an iPad or a computer. You're not actually doing the hands-on lathe work or the CNC work. Oh, no. Is that right? This is a mill. This is a mill, but I'm not doing, I'm not turning handles. It's not a manual machine, right. no. Uh, but, so what I do and what I've been doing is I write the program or we have a programmer. And, and we plan the job out. We set it up on the table, or in my case now, a grid plate, and I'll actually go in, I'll locate the part, I'll get the part flat, I'll get it held properly. And from there, we would get the location of the part with a probe or an indicator, and I actually would, the first, the very first part, uh, based on the software we're using and how much time we take to simulate it, I would... I would run the first program for the very first part and make sure everything's good. I would set mm-hmm. all my offsets. So it's it's not so much hands-on as, as in physical labor. It's more of a mental labor. And, and right. You have to have a, a decent mental capacity to do it in, in the job shop environment. But really what you're doing is you're using a technology to do the work for you. But you do have to be a part of the initial process and then after that, you put the part in, and you press start and go. Well, that was the, the uh, component that I wanted to get to, that, in fact, you are uh, skilled as a bit of a programmer, uh, a CNC operator, a project manager, and not a hands-on manual uh, 
a tooling guy. And no, and that, the, that, that, that trade's really, uh, and a lot of people don't like to hear it, but that trade is kind of dying. Uh, mm-hmm. Yeah, it is. It, it is, is what it is. There is a place for it, and there, there always will be a place for it. But the fact is, is that there might not always be people that are going to do it. And, and the CNC machinery is taken over even in those instances where it's faster to do it on a manual machine. Uh, it's, it's taken over uh, with the fact that you have more access. You have more accesses. You can rotate the part more. You can hold it in one spot and machine five sides of the part. Uh, it's, it's just really becoming more of a technological, technological uh, field of work. Sean, uh, you have written some articles uh, that you've uh, about manufacturing, and uh, you've had them published. Uh, why don't you tell us a little bit about that? Well, they're actually published on LinkedIn, and uh, oh, it was okay. actually what it, what it was is I'm in school for manufacturing engineering, mm-hmm. and I took an English class, and I had the option to write about anything. And and what I wanted to do was I wanted to make sure that every class that I took counted towards something that helped with my career. And and what I did was is, is I took the extra time to really <clears throat> excuse me. I took the extra time to really write something that mattered about the industry and it and it talks about the economy, the skills issue, the uh, apprenticeship issues that we're having. It it talks about all those things within the manufacturing industry. That would really, if if we if we focused on those things, that could actually grow it to be a better industry than it is now. And and another of those things is is that for our economy, manufacturing is one of the strongest adding factors to our economy. Uh, and and if we don't do that, then I know people think we can rely on the service industry, but. I, I just don't think we can, and we're going to end up with more hard times. So Sean, that's I read what those I, articles talk about. Yeah, I read those two articles, and I thought they were really quite good. Um, and if you would like, uh, you can give us your LinkedIn uh, uh, connections so that people want to read the article that they they can go there and uh, uh, view it for themselves. One one is called uh, taking taking matters into his own hand, and the other is. Uh, Manufacturing uh, taking, a new America. Uh, yeah, and then there was a taking matter, you know, taking matters into his own hand. Yeah, that's the other one. Yeah, that article mentioned. talks about Harry Mosier with the Reshoring Initiative, I believe. Right. Uh, oh, oh, Harry always about. pops up. Yeah, he's in there, and he's also, I think, mentioned in my other article is manufacturing a new America. And and right. the thing about these articles is, it's not the article that I wrote for school. I actually redid the articles because I had to follow certain guidelines for my class. So I mm-hmm. redid the articles that worked more for the actual industry <clears throat> compared to what I had to write for that class. And what is your uh, LinkedIn uh, address? Oh, it's Sean Osborne. Let me see if I can find a – it's going to be a bunch of numbers, I'm sure. It is – Sean. Well, I'm sure. Go ahead, Sean. Sean Osborne, and, and there's a, a dash in between Sean and then after Osborne. 
and then 53B11728. And that and that would be with your LinkedIn.com. Oh, great. All right. um, you're, you're probably going to get crushed. So <laughs> I just want to talk about the National Tooling and Machining Association. You mentioned that uh, Wagner Tool signed you up for some, was it courses there? It seems to me that they have a uh, program, a number of programs, actually, to skill people up. Is that right? They do. They have, first off, for job interviews, they have tests. Uh, they're tests that you can take to see if you have the aptitude to work in the industry. <clears throat> and and they're also tested an employer could give in a, a potential employee. But they also have a number of courses which you could take alone, uh, say a blueprint reading class or a shop math, and then they have their National Tooling Machining Association University, which is all of the classes together, and, mm-hmm. and that works. And that works together with uh, shop hours, and and it, and it becomes a whole program. That in the end of the apprenticeship, you would be uh, a journeyman machinist, and that takes that takes both the the employee and the employer. To make that happen, because there's required shop hours, and the the good thing about that is, and I'm not sure I'm not sure how it works with other counties or states, but with mine, I was able to take my apprenticeship program and all the courses that I use, and it counted towards 21 credit hours for the associate's degree in manufacturing engineering. And, and basically what that means is I was a third of the way done with that, with an associate's degree when I walked in the door at the University of Akron. Oh, great. Well, that's yeah, a there positive. Are, yeah, there, there are uh, becoming more and more of those types of programs, and uh, it's, it's long overdue, and, uh, you know, the federal government does, uh, is beginning to wake up and realize that they've got to help in this, uh, that aspect of the educating the, uh, uh, the young and uh, so that we don't wind up in a situation down the road where we won't have anybody to take the jobs. What's number 10 now, 700,000 vacant jobs in manufacturing? Yeah, it's always a big number, and we certainly don't want to end up like Japan, who had a uh, aging population and then a birth dearth because of World War II, the aftermath of it. Uh, we had the baby boomers. They had a birth dearth, and then they went into an economic slump because they just plain didn't have people that could fill jobs. And right now, yeah, yeah. we just don't have people who are highly skilled, like Sean, who, who can work with an iPad, who can do some programming, who knows some project management. So what you're seeing in manufacturing today is vastly different, Lou, than what you and I saw 40 years ago. Oh, absolutely, absolutely. Uh, well, I've been in many machine shops, and uh, they don't look like that no more. The thing <laughs> yeah. is, is those, those skills aren't that hard to reach. Uh, they're not. They're not that hard to obtain. It just takes a little bit of. of you got to give and and take a little bit of time and. and Go get the skills, and what people don't realize is that, and this is in my article. I, I took the national statistics of of wages for a couple of different industries and and some lower skilled uh, jobs uh, opposed to 
some of the different trades in manufacturing, such as welding or a machinist or a programmer. And the difference in wages uh, for just a little bit of time that it takes to, uh, while you're working, obtain some skills is, is significant. And people don't realize that. And, and that's another thing that I think is why we're not seeing too many people enter into the industry. And, and along with the schools, instead of pushing just college, which is now uh, an, access, an excess, there's, there's way too many people with degrees that we don't need. Uh, instead of pushing that, if they would push the manufacturing industry, people would see that, that they're going to find jobs that they're actually happy with and that they make just as good a money as they could with a bachelor's degree, and they, ne they won't have a problem getting a job. And they'll be able to keep the job also. Uh, yeah. Last week I was at a function in Washington, D.C., and the number that they came out with, and apparently it's increased since Tim and I heard the number, that now it's 50% of those who go to college don't graduate. So yeah, a lot of kids right. going to college, and, but the ones that are going to college and graduating, they can't get a job. So and, the, the don't whole, get me wrong, I'm, I'm not against college. Uh, I'm going to college, but the reason I'm going to college is so I can grow with the industry. Uh, I, I know that automation and technology is, is growing, and, and the typical operator isn't going to be uh, what, it, what it is now, and, and the machinist isn't going to be what it is now. So if I can, if I can grow into that automated industry and, and bring it into the company I work with now, then I know that I have a place in the future as a manufacturing engineer, which is for processes and automation, and I also have a place in the future as a machinist. So I, I could go either which way. Absolutely. Let's talk about uh, Wagner a bit, uh, uh, so we can uh, you know plug uh, plug your company. Uh, you're, it's a job shop uh, machine shop, and you're serving many different types of industries. Uh, give us a little insight into where you're where you're uh, getting your business and what kind of parts you're making and. Uh, uh, things of that nature. We make a pretty large variety of parts for a variety of industries. Uh, some of the things we see is is uh, for like vehicles in the coal mining industry. Uh, we make parts for different machines, uh, bearing blocks, a lot of different rings for clutch assemblies, large clutches. Uh, there's there's quite a bit of things that we actually do and a lot of the times we don't even really it's, it's from an engineering firm so there's a, a lot of times that we don't know exactly what industry it is that we're making it for because mm -hmm. we don't have our own product All right that's that's what a job shop uh, is today uh, I know you're in uh, involved in aerospace uh, the medical yeah, industry the steel industry How oil and gas doing Oil and gas, I feel like I've seen a rise in some of the work we do for customers that are in that industry, and I think it's more the coal that I'm seeing uh, is actually gone from where a year and a half ago it was way down to now. That's where we see a lot of our jobs are from those companies that make things that, that go into the coal industry. Is, is this... Um Items that would go into equipment maintenance or or new drilling well, a lot equipment. Of it, 
No, no, more of the vehicles. The vehicles that, that work in the coal industry. How about aerospace, Sean? What are you seeing happening in aerospace? Any activity there? Is it picked up? Is it still soft? What's going on there? So we're not so big into that, and, and I, I haven't paid a whole lot of attention to it. We're actually just getting into that, and we're working on becoming suppliers uh, for different places as we've gotten our ISO certifications and, and all those things. And we're really trying to, to be more uh, stable in our processes and work on uh, – some of the things within the company before we really jump into that because we don't want to make <clears throat> a, a fast move and have it be a wrong move. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Now, with the materials that's used in aerospace uh, being as expensive as it is, you don't want to make you don't want to make too many mistakes. I wouldn't say it's that. Uh, I just know that that the processes are very important and the tracking is very important and. We we don't have any problems with scrap. We don't have, I mean, in a production company, I know they strive for less than 7% scrap rating, but I would doubt that we have even 1%. means you're doing something right. Yes. Hey, Sean, you're, you mentioned, and I think it's important for the listeners to hear, that getting the skills isn't that difficult. It's just a time investment, and you can get yes. them through your employer, and you can get them through the National Tooling and Machining Association programs. Uh, and is are, does your operation, your company, Wagner, have any apprenticeship programs? Uh, I wouldn't say that we have a one set in stone. Uh, I was the first, and and we're looking to to try and implement that more. Uh, what what we did was is basically. I drove the program uh, for myself, and okay. it worked out. It worked out really well because we. It was something that was. I kind of convinced them to do it for me. Like they mentioned it, and and it was something that's been considered, and we didn't really know where to start. And uh, now we do have somebody else that is actually our tool room attendant, who is a non-skilled worker, and he is signed up for it. And I've been working with him whenever he needs the help. And and as he goes through the program, we're going to try and, and move him into maybe part-time machining and, and then and then maybe full-time machining and then replace him in a tool room. And, and we're going to try and maybe use the tool room as a way to cycle in uh, new skilled workers. Okay. Now, share a little bit about automating a job shop environment uh, with us, if you could, please. Okay. Yeah, the job shop environment is something that nobody thinks can be automated. And and I, I'm willing to say that 90% of the job shops aren't automated in any way. Uh, what, what we do is is we, we can't fixture every job. So we have to build the fixture out of components on the table every time. And And what we're missing here is that if... From the beginning, we started out with, say, 50 grid plates, 20 grid plates, and we marked them just like you would a checkerboard, A, B, C, D, 1, 2, 3, 4. Uh, every job that you set up on that grid plate, you can uh, you can write down where your bolt went, where your uh, locator went, where your clamp went, and when you come back to that job 
three months, a year later. Uh, what you can do is, is you can have a setup sheet, and you can say, okay, I bolted this down just like this. Here's a picture. I have it set up the exact same way. Here's a program. And put your tools in, and you can go. You don't have to think about it. How did I do this last time? And and set it up and, and worry about, am I going to hit a clamp? Am I going to do this? Am I going to do that? And and that's... And that's a small-scale automation. So, Sean, share with us a little bit about opening up to change to stay competitive, because I think that is a rather brilliant topic. Share that with our listeners. Yeah, a lot of people uh, are under the inclination that profitability is the only way you can make money, and especially with the job shop and all the, the multiple setups that we do, and the amount of time that it takes, uh, profitability is is not as important as capacity is. And and if you can work on those things, such as your setup times or, mm-hmm. or uh, the system that we're getting ready to be running, the FASM system, while that thing's running, I can set up my next job and and get it all prepared and programmed and ready. And basically the only time that it's going to be slowed down is when I'm proving out the, the next part. So getting rid of all that downtime in, in a way that, that you're not making a part is is boosting your capacity. And if, even if you're running a 30% less profitability with a job and you're getting three times more done, you're actually making more money. So that's the thing about change is uh, that and, and the programming techniques and toolpaths and then the newer technology we have with that, the high-speed machining, uh, all those things make a difference. Because, for an example, the job that I'm running right now with with a seven-fluid end mill, I was able to cut in an hour and 15 minutes what it would take me to cut six hours with a high-feed mill. So the, the difference there is, is significant, and that's not always the case, but... If you can embrace the technology and the and the newer levels of, of machining and the industry, then then the capacity is way more important than the profitability. Well, the R the ROI is uh, the ROI no matter how you get it. Uh, Sean, this this was uh, terrific, and uh, I'm sure that Courtney uh, likes profitability as well as capacity. <laughs> and, oh yeah, I'm uh, sure. <laughs> you give give her our regards. And uh, mention our name to her, and uh, okay. we really we really appreciate your being on the show, and uh, perhaps we'll uh, we'll talk to you about some of your articles because again I've read them, and they're really quite interesting and quite uh, insightful. Uh, Tim, okay. Sean, thanks for being with us on Manufacturing Talk Radio. No problem. Thank you much, and you have a good day. Hey, you guys have a good one. Thank you. Will. Thanks. All right. And we've been speaking with Sean Osborne, who is a machinist, uh, machine tool operator, an operator of, uh, and a project manager with Wagner Tool Inc. in Norton, Ohio. Check them out. Wagner Machine. Wagner, sorry, Wagner Machine Inc. in Norton, Ohio. Uh, let's see if I can get you a quick. Uh, email address for them because it's certainly worth looking at wagnermachine.com that's pretty easy folks yeah check them out (laughs) thanks for being with us for this episode of manufacturing talk radio
Okay, Tim, that was uh, that was terrific. Uh, Sean Osborne uh, is definitely an inspiration uh, to uh, manufacturing. He's come a long way, and uh, he fought his way to correct the things of the past and for sure is helping things for the future. And I, th- I think that's really terrific. Uh, that said, next week's show, uh, we have our global show. Uh, we have uh, Chad Moutre, who's the chief economist for NAM, National Association of Manufacturers. Royce Lowe, reporting from the U.K. and France about the U.K. and E.U. and everything that relates to what's going on in manufacturing in Europe. We have Chung Wang, uh, a senior correspondent, uh, reporting from China, giving us the update on what's going on over there. Uh, Norbert Orr from Strategis, uh, with their PMI number, their global number, uh, where they are tracking 18 different reports globally. The show tends to be a lot of numbers, uh, but it's good to know, especially for those of you who are manufacturing, exporting, and or manufacturing and not exporting. Maybe you should look to export more. Uh, so we're we're looking forward to that show. And, uh, Tim, uh, back to you. Thanks, Lou. Always a pleasure to get together with you on the air and talk about manufacturing. We hope all of our listeners tune in. You can find our shows at mfgtalkradio.com. You can also find a series of news articles that we put out every day on manufacturing. We hope you find it helpful. Please send your comments and, and uh, kind criticisms into us. We're always willing to listen. And we'll join you next week on Manufacturing Talk Radio for another terrific show. Thanks for listening. Thanks for joining us on Manufacturing Talk Radio. You can hear our next broadcast each Tuesday at 1 p.m. Eastern Standard Time at mfgtalkradio.com. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.